Yeah. No, you're talking during the countdown. Come on. Oh, Ellis. I didn't see the fucking count. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Cheers, Cheers, dear, dear readers. readers. <laughs> okay, one more time for the people in the back. <laughs> I didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> we're starting the goddamn podcast. I know, but I forgot how we started it. <laughs> I'm not cutting any of this. This is all I saying. I say it in my show notes, but I was looking at your faces because I missed you. Oh. See, I was sweet. Corona recordings are just not the same. I know. I'm only sweet when I'm doing something stupid and I need to use it as an excuse. <laughs> your emotional manipulation is the stuff of legends. <laughs> Isn't it, though? Worked real hard for that. All right. Trauma. Let's, let's <laughs> give one more go. Okay. <laughs> Cheers, Cheers, dear. Cheers, dear. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All okay. right. Anyone else want to count us in? Cheers, dear Cheers, readers. Dear readers. <laughs> I swear that's it. That's, that's as good on. as we're getting from Bryn. Okay. Okay. We're going to start there. I'm Bryn. I'm Chris. And I'm Ellis. And this is PA Drunk. It's fine. It's because we're drunk. Okay. That is the All name right. of the fucking show. It's fine. <laughs> Speaking of drugs, giving you what you what you signed up for, bitches. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Speaking of drunk, PH Drunk is our weekly ish ish podcast where we drink to excess and discuss classic works of literature. And this week, we're so happy because Ellis has come back and she made us all read Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. I didn't make us, bitch. I... We all picked it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I just, I would like to take a moment and say we weren't the same without you, Ellis. Thank you for coming back to us, finally. Oh, don't say nice things to me when I'm drunk, you know, it'll make me emotional. Ugh, gross. gross. We don't do feelings emotions here. Feelings are gross. Feelings are <laughs> not gross. Feelings. Calm down, feelings everybody. Feelings are gross unless they're fictional. Are we going to okay. lose all three people that listen to us? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so first of all, I think it's important on this one to give a little bit more background information because there's like more controversy surrounding the actual like author than there is surrounding the text for this this time around. So we got to talk about it. So basically, sure. this was written by Lewis Carroll, um, which is Charles Lud- Ludwig, right? Yeah. Ludwig. Yeah. Ludwig. What the fuck ever. Anyway. I think it's Ludwig. Lewis- Dodgson. Dodgson. I'm looking at it. It's got an E at the end. Okay. Pronunciation. Charles Dodgson. All right. Dodgson. There you go. Charles publishes this shit in 1865, but he actually wrote it a few years earlier. um, And it was told to, okay, where do we even start? You have to start at the beginning. So Charles is a mathematician who gets hired to teach and becomes friends with the dean of um, Oxford. And his family and his family has three little girls that Charles becomes like real infatuated with and starts like hanging out with on the reg, which is creepy as fuck. Cause they're it's a little creepy little yeah. fucking girls, little, little girls. So 
Wasn't she um, like four when he started teaching there? When he started, and then they quit talking when she was 11. So from four. Yeah, the one named Alice. The Sorry. one named Alice. Yeah. But she had two older sisters that he also hung out a lot with. But he was like a mathematician, but like also a photographer, because we all know that person who thinks they're a goddamn photographer. Um, he photographs girls, these little girls, um, some of them because their parents asked, like they wanted him to like, you know, take nice family pictures. Some of them, they were fucking naked. So we got some issues with fucking Charles. Charles is a fucking creeper. Um, there's some debate among scholars about whether or not this was him being a pedophile or if this was him trying to capture the innocence of a child before they grow into womanhood and are sort of like ruined by age and marriage and whatever. I don't give a fuck what you want to call it. He's a goddamn pedophile. So that's where we are with that. So um, one day they're out on this boat ride. It's um, Lewis Carroll and the three sisters and a friend uh, are on a boat ride. And Alice wants to be told a story. So he makes up this story um, and she loves it. And later asks him if he will write it down for her. And so he does pictures and gives her a manuscript. But it's called Alice's Adventures Underground. And she keeps that. Um, and then a few years later, one of his friends reads it and says, like, hey, you should actually publish this. And that's how we get what we get today. Uh, and then he publishes the obviously, like, next part, which is Through the Looking Glass. Okay. So there's some debate on whether or not the Alice in the story is actually Alice Ledeau, the little girl he was telling the story to. Um, because while her name is Alice, she looks, the the drawings that he made actually look like her older sister. And also... Lewis Carroll said in many interviews that, like, this was not based on Alice Liddell. However, in Through the Looking Glass, there are hints that it is based on her because there's a poem in the end that if you read it um, as an acrostic, it actually, like, the letters make out Alice's full name, first, middle, and last. And there's also um, a part in Through the Looking Glass where she says she's seven and a half years old on November 4th, which was Alice Liddell's half birthday. And she would have been seven and a half at that time. So it's like pretty much like it's definitely her. But he says it's not her, but it's basically her. There's all of this like, is it, is it not about her? So then we get into the is he or is he not a pedophile, which again, we're back to he took naked pictures of little girls. Um, he, I feel like that's a clear sign. I mean, I feel like it should be. Apparently, he was just somebody who wanted to capture to capture the innocence of little girls. I feel like even if we're willing to set aside some of the creepiness of like photographing young children naked, there is a certain amount of voyeurism that goes along with wanting that photograph to be taken of your daughter to capture her childhood innocence that makes it not okay it's just not like okay. even if you yeah. can justify it in terms of like wanting to capture childhood innocence yeah the, but the voyeurism of the of the viewer of the photograph automat like that there's something yeah, there. But, but the argument is that the father only asked for like the family only asked for pictures of her to be taken um like in normal settings when she was closed but he spent so much time with the girls on their own that he took these pictures as like sort of like artistic photos capturing their innocence. But these were not commissioned by her family. These were pictures that he did on his own. So going into that, um, yeah. 
Not okay. No, there's a nope. there's a several year span where that's just missing from his journal that's been cut out. And it's the same time period where all of this was happening and where he had the fallout with the family because when he was ele- when Alice was 11, he had a fallout with the family and while he did go back and speak to them briefly, it never like the friendship never rekindled and he never was hanging out with them again. There's like a lot of rumors about why that happened. And when he died, they found that someone had cut out those pages of his journal. So we don't really know what happened. But some people speculate that the family saw pictures that he had taken or that he basically did something to make them see that his relationship or sort of like obsession with Alice and even her sisters was like impure. One of the rumors that tries to justify it is that he was actually making like a play for their governess and or the eldest sister but there's nothing to like really prove that so it's just speculation and like things it's questionable if it's they saw out. it or whatever but the it, like either it was that or it was this or maybe something else no one really knows because all the pages they were basically cut out by his family but one of the reasons they they speculate that it was him trying to get with the eldest daughter is because they thought it would be they were saying oh it might have been her having an infatuation with him and they didn't want other people to read about it and make her embarrassed no it sounds to me like he saw her her family's on making pictures of little alice and they were like what the actual fuck is happening and you can't be around our children anymore so there's that i mean i feel like that sounds the most okay right okay can i can i tell you guys what my what i've been holding on to since i read this Oxford Dictionary of National Biography. Please tell us. So that I read the entry on Lewis Carroll because I was very curious about this particular controversy. And I was like, okay, well, the ODNB is a reputable source. Let's see what they say about it. Okay, so Morgan Cohen is talking about uh, the friendship between the Liddells and Lewis Carroll. And, like, he talks about um, Carroll meeting the Liddells when Alice was... Uh, four years old. And then I, I am about to quote directly from this ODNB article. He describes this as, thus began one of the most exceptional friendships, indeed love affairs of all time. What in the actual fuck? You cannot describe the relationship between a grown-ass man no. and a four-year-old girl as one of the most ex- exceptional love affairs of all time. That is disgusting. It is disgusting. You can justify that by saying, like, love affair. He meant, like, love in a familial It's sense. not. No. Mm-mm. It's not okay. Look, I'm with you. I'm just saying there are a lot of scholars out there who still, to this day, try to justify this because they're like, oh, it's a great work of art, blah, blah, blah. And, like, Cohen says that, he says that whether or not Carol was a pedophile, if Carol did harbor deep unconventional desires, he certainly reined them in severely, never violating her Victorian propriety because as a deeply, genuinely religious man, he knew that he could not re- endure any transgression- transgressions. How the fuck do you know that, Cohen? Absolutely they, they, There's not, not any more proof. So... Okay, I read part of the introduction to the Band of Classics it's... edition, which I is can't. written by Morton Cohen, and there's not any more proof in there either. Okay, first of all, saying that he never did anything wrong is fucked up because even if the even if all he did was somehow convince them to pose naked for him, 
that's wrong because they're fucking children. So done and done. I just want to clarify, this is not in any way a justification of that because it's not. It was wrong. It is still wrong. It will always be wrong. Naked babies are not for fucking public viewing. So uh, what I think is that they're saying they're basing that on is because one, they don't have the journal entries to know what actually happened. And two, after he died, Alice, the real Alice Liddell, went to New York for a like convention on Lewis Carroll and gave a speech about how great he was. And so um, I think they're saying like, basically if he had acted on this in any way, she never would have done these things. Um, but as we all know now, because we've actually like taken like a fucking hot second to study abuse victims, that, that means fuck all because you would, you could absolutely justify his actions if you are an abuse victim. And especially if you've never had anyone to talk to, to work through that abuse. So that's bullshit. And I'm with you on that 120%. There's, there's no way of knowing that he never acted on it. Um, that's just wild speculation i mean just as there's no way of really knowing if he ever acted on it beyond the extremely inappropriate but it, and disgusting but, but, pictures, right but like, does that pictures matter of children like still took those pictures. like that no it doesn't because it's already yeah because the yeah. pictures are enough to condemn I, him um, okay but like i'm so riled up about this stupid fucking odnb because he describes this whole taking pictures of the right. of the little girls he says that it's all this with their parents of, in that unsuspicion, unsuspicious pre-Freudian heyday of Victorian innocence. Fuck you to the moon and back. Morton Cohen, whatever your fucking name is. Just because it's pre-Freudian doesn't mean that they were fucking innocent or unsuspicious or whatever. That is such a... I mean, Freud wasn't uh, the, the one the, to invent the, sexual the, desire. No, no, I can't. And like, I can't with how it's so fucking old school and like bullshit and like stop trying to make it like those were the fucking good old days when you could just take pictures of naked little girls and it wouldn't mean anything. What I've read read about (sighs) is that Carol and people who support this basically say it's capturing the innocence of the female child before they're ruined by like adulthood and marriage and all that. Like, and um, they compare yes, because clearly adulthood and no, marriage well, they, they ruins compare, women. They compare the way that um, a female child can stand naked before the camera and like make eye contact and doesn't shrink away. Whereas like a fallen woman would be sort of like looking downcast and like sort of cowering or whatever in shame. And they have nothing to be ashamed. Also, have they never seen, Porn. Well, because I mean, because women, be like grown ass women, <laughs> grown ass women who have been like adults that can consent to be photographed naked, have been taking pictures or posing for paintings or whatever since the dawn of fucking yep. time. And for them, there is no cowering. There was a lot of celebration of adult sexuality. And that is entirely fucking but you know, at that from time, naked little girls. I can't. This. I'd like to argue. I'd like to argue that Lewis Carroll did the sexualizing, and did the shaming. So even if they were in a state of childhood innocence before they were photographed, in being talked into being naked in front of a camera, Lewis Carroll did did the thing that he was not supposed to be doing. That he was arguing was not happening. 
right? Okay. If he's saying that he's photographing childhood innocence, I, yes. in photographing I, it, he's made it not innocent. Can I support, can I support Agreed. that with the fact that after he hadn't seen her for a little bit, because the family had a falling out, when he did see her again and she was older, he said she was changed and not for the better. So he that clearly so icky. only has a thing for them when they're little girls. And he went on to do this with many other little girls that it was never to the extent as it was with Alice. It's not like one of those books where we go back a lot to the text for like mm-hmm. important lines and things because it is supposed to be nonsense. Like that's what he's known for is writing it's nonsense uh, non- literature. No, and he's known for that. Like, even his poetry is a lot of nonsense. Like, he sort of made a career on writing nonsense. Mm, would it be he, nice? He, he made that, like, its own fucking <laughs> genre, which I guess that's maybe why he, we still talk about him. I don't know. I mean, it must be so nice to be a r- white man where you can write nonsense and make a career A white it. man who's well off, yeah. Exactly. You're exactly, you're exactly right. <laughs> Agreed. I think we all can form a consensus and say that Lewis Carroll was a motherfucking creep and that people who justify Lewis Carroll's creepiness are also motherfucking creeps. And they can all go, you know, sit on a tack. tack. You can sit on lots of sharp tacks. There's a a special place in hell for everyone. Okay, so for the first time in three episodes, Ellis. Will you give us the super fast tiny plot summary? I would be honored. Thank you for asking. Okay, super fast tiny plot summary. This story follows Alice, a little girl who's relaxing outside with her older sister when she sees a white rabbit run past her, muttering about being late. Alice decides to follow the rabbit and then falls down a rabbit hole and basically spends the entire book trying to figure out what the actual fuck is going on in this new place. She needs... Many, lots of, many, several. Uh, interesting. Like I said, as I can. So, so thanks for all the synonyms. So fucking many interesting characters. Um, but there's so much nonsense, which is basically what Carol was going for. Hashtag on brand. That's like his poetry. Everything is about like he like makes nonsense literature a thing. So it's like very on brand for him. Um, But there's so much nonsense that Alice finds it difficult to make sense of reality. She continuously attempts to remember and apply her lessons from home um, to her new surroundings, even working to teach the characters in Wonderland how to behave by repeating these little nuggets of truth from her lessons. But her old rules don't seem to apply to this new place, and she can't figure out the rules, if there are any, that um, govern the society and these creatures. She begins to question who she is, and when she finds herself um, as a witness to a, in a trial where the king is the judge and the jury is a bunch of scatterbrained animals, um, and the queen's ready to carry out the sentence before the verdict is even read, Alice finally gets her groove back and stands up for herself. Conveniently, that's also when Alice then wakes up back in reality with her sister and tells her about the dream. Her sister sends Alice home for tea, and then she proceeds to doze off into her own dream full of the same characters Alice has just described for her, but the dream is very different for her sister. It's sort of shrouded in this like sense of nostalgia, and when she can no longer hold on to it, though she does try, she wakes up and she thinks about what Alice is going to be like as an adult, and that's sort of where everything ends. There's a lot more in there as far as like nonsense shit that we can't even really describe, kind of like this where you got to read it for yourself um 
sort of make sense of it if you can. Um, but that's like the 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 general shit. So that's where we are with plot. Oh, it was sorry. almost as long as the book. It's like eighty <laughs> fucking pages, but I feel like um, without getting into detail, that's the best I can do to make sense of it. Yeah, no, it was great. It was very comprehensive. Thank you. <laughs> okay, it was a paragraph, bitches. What do you uh, want from me? It was all nonsense. No, no, it has a logic. Um, it's it's got a pun logic. A pun logic. Okay, everything's Maybe a pun. We should talk about this in segment two. Got it. Themes for days. I think it's Alice's turn to do the theme song. Themes on themes on themes. Yay, Alice is back. <laughs> What's our first theme? She's back, bitches. Okay. Our first theme is um, I just like sort of condensed a lot into the nonsense of growing up because I think there are several sort of sub themes in this. But basically, I think we need to discuss the way that this sort of grapples with the child trying to figure out what's real from what they're taught and what's real from the reality of how adults act. So this is what we're taught to believe is it's going to be like when we're adults how we're raised to um, sort of interact as adults once we become one. And then Alice learning that like, actually none of that is really applicable because adults aren't perfect and uh, it doesn't really work the way that you're taught that it works. She constantly is trying to recall these lessons in her interactions with these other characters, sort of like prescribing to them how they should act uh, like don't talk about certain things or whatever we don't say things like this but then she realizes like none of it really applies and then also like she's constantly finding that no one really listens to her which I think is also really important both as a child and as a woman because I think that can be applicable to just like women in Victorian society and arguably today I said what I said um that women just don't get listened to in the same way. They're constantly talking over her or ignoring her or not letting her get a word in edgewise. And I think that's like really important to her sort of realizing like she's getting to that point where she's going to have to see that reality isn't what it was presented to you when you were a child. Yes, I completely agree. And I will say that this is the theme that I like enjoy and relate to in this book. Like this is the part of this book that I'm like, okay, I get it. I like it. Yeah. Fuck Lewis Carroll, but... Right. He did one good thing. A hundred percent, yes, like a hundred percent buy that this is what growing up feels like. It's not even just like what the process of growing up feels like. It's like what it feels like to be an adult. Mm -hmm. Because when you're a fucking adult, you're like, nothing makes sense. None of the rules apply. No one is listening to me. And nothing, like, everything is a mess just like Alice experiences in Wonderland and she's like constantly bewildered Mm -hmm. because like people are throwing things at her and she keeps growing and she keeps shrinking and she keeps meeting strange animals and hearing strange stories Mm -hmm. and like nothing follows any form of reason that she's been taught to expect in Mm -hmm. life and if that's not what it feels like to be a motherfucking adult I do not know what is okay wait wait i'd like to suggest that there is an internal logic though and it's all based on puns okay all all of it is based on puns if you can choose any section of the book it's all based on a pun um 
Perform an example. The mock turtle. Okay. Well, yes. Okay. But it's all based it's all based on a pun of mock turtle soup, which is an actual soup that exists. But Alice doesn't know how to put it together, so her brain puts it together as the pun that it is, that a grown-up, an adult, might see it as the pun of a mock turtle who might be made into soup. And Alice doesn't compute the pun, and so she sees an actual mock turtle, whatever a mock turtle looks like, um, and not and not the rest of the equation. There is an internal logic to the book that's all based on puns of of further lessons that Alice hasn't reached, but Alice can't make sense of it. I feel like I just reread this book this week um, in one kid nap time because I have a kid and. I was thinking the whole time how my oldest kid might be able to handle the type of things that happen in the book, right? So, like, my kid doesn't, would not grasp all of these puns that are happening. However, I would see the story and see a lot of the puns that are happening, and I would see the logic of moving from one place to another with no fixed mooring, like there's nothing to grab onto except these puns that are based in her lessons. My kid would not understand that. So I feel like Alice, yeah, exactly. Alice feels like there's nothing. The same age as what Alice would be in this. So it's actually like, yeah, super appropriate as a comparison. I just want the Alice just want would, our dear yeah. readers to know that your <laughs> eldest child and Alice in the book are roughly the exact same age alice might not be able to make sense of it there is an internal logic to the book that alice is trying to grab onto. i i understand what you're saying and i agree with you completely like there's the disconnect between what alice the child sees and then like what the adult sees but the internal logic of the book based on puns and like nonsense really is is even as an adult is like, yeah, none of this, it's all fucking made up and none of it makes any sense. Like, it's not logical. Mm-hmm. Like, it's in in a classical sense. Right. Uh, it may be logical in this sort of nonsense way of, like, how we interpret the world, but... But it makes sense in a logical, like, like, educational system of the late Victorian period. Like, if that's the educational yeah. system of repeating lessons back, then, then it makes it makes a lot of sense that you repeat these lessons in this order and at the end of it, you're supposed to be educated. So Alice repeats these lessons, except that she gets lost. And at the end, she's not educated. She goes to tea. Yeah. But I think that's, I think that's like, I think that's the point is that it's showing that none of that actually makes any sense. Sure. That like the, that the internal logic of the Victorian education doesn't actually actually just nonsense. None of it works. And like, it feels like that's what Carol is making fun of, which would make sense because he's, an educator like he yeah. is a he's a professor of math and so maths maths as maths. they say as yes. they say um and so like, i feel yeah. like it would make sense to an adult reader though I which mean, i guess is, is part it? of You're the an adult reader yes and i think wait, it does like, make sense to me wait what what's okay explain explain to me how it makes sense Alice is moving through a series of lessons that she's been taught to repeat, but she gets lost in the words because she's just been taught to repeat them and not to to absorb them. She okay. doesn't like know them. 
And so in exposing all of these like but faultiness, you think that if she knew them, she would be she would better. I don't know. I think in I am agreeing with you and saying and also I am agreeing with you that the educational system does not make sense. Um, but I, I think that the way that an adult might appreciate this, an adult reader might see this, is that Alice is trying to go through her lessons and repeat them in order. And like an adult would see the order that she's trying to repeat them and know that that's the pointless? reason that it doesn't make sense is that Alice is not able to grasp them. She's not learning the thing that's in the lesson. So what do you okay. make of like... I just don't think... I think that what the all of the nonsense means, and dear readers, if all of our conversation sounds like nonsense, then Welcome. it's an artistic choice that we are making. <laughs> <laughs> We're just following the fucking aesthetics of Alice's Adventures in Maybe Wonderland. You Thank you. drink more, bitch. Um, I think that the... That the point isn't that, like, oh, an adult can see the overall arching, overarching um, logic of Alice's uh, misreadings or misinterpretations of her lessons, but rather that the lessons themselves are not Exactly. That, that is the point. That is the point of it. You're so like, right. Like, that's what I see it. It's, it is, like, it's not that, like, the uh, omniscient or more nishant more nishant <laughs> just let's do it let's um do it. <laughs> whatever the like it's not like the adult can just be like oh look at cute little alice misunderstanding the point of her lessons it's more like oh look at alice absolutely pointing out the fact that all of this stuff is bullshit right but all of this stuff I think is what this all of this stuff is bullshit because Alice is learning to repeat rote and she's not learning the thing that's in the lesson. But I think it's yes, pointing and, out. Think, yes, yes and, and. Yeah. It's pointing out that. <laughs> it's like, yes, and, but also, like, for me in this moment in like, my life, as the world is literally falling to pieces. Welcome to the pandemic if you didn't know it was happening. For me, the, the question that stuck with me is oh, is it is it that the lessons are bullshit because they're just supposed to be like learned by rote or is it that all lessons are bullshit because there's no way of fucking knowing what's going to happen to you both but also you can't apply everything to every like there's not something that you learn as a child that you can apply to every situation and like us trying to pretend for our children that like it's okay learn this learn this learn this and then you know, draw from that when anything happens and you'll always have something to pick from to fix the situation. Like that's bullshit. Like as adults, we know that everything we've learned, while it may make us, I guess, like more ready, more prepared to sort of handle certain situations, we can never know enough. We can never understand enough. None of the shit we learn in school is really what we apply to most of our situations in life and a lot of what she encounters are social situations so that's not stuff you can apply mm. math because she's constantly trying to use like math and geography and like those things don't apply whenever you're trying to relate to other mm. people. yeah I, I actually love that because it's like we spend all of this time in schools and in our like traditional western education system learning all these these like scare quotes facts mm -hmm. that are supposed to help us navigate the world and not not to say that that stuff isn't valuable in its own right, right. because i do believe yeah. that it I is i don't think we should just but not in, learn things but 
Right. Like, but on a day-to-day basis, like, what our human lives are made out of, and, like, this is a moment in history where we're really learning that, um, is the social interactions, right? And, like, the the intricacies and the vagaries and the unpredictability of interpersonal interaction makes it almost impossible for there to be rote lessons that you can memorize for how to deal with things, right? Not That's not to say that you can't learn or have an education that makes you more um, like empathic and able to adapt quickly and to understand multiple points of view and to adjust to different situations. I absolutely believe that there is a way to educate in that way. But like to go back to what Bryn was saying, rote memorization and the learning of these arbitrary rules is not the way to do that. And in fact, like on a day-to-day basis, what we really need is to learn, plug for the humanities here, but to learn like how to um, connect with, talk to each other and problem solve in out-of-the-box ways. So along with that though, like, you could say that this whole book is sort of a lesson in how you can only learn those important lessons by being put in those situations because we literally watch absolutely struggle through what can I apply? What can I apply? What can I apply? And nothing's working. Nothing's working. And it takes until the very end, right before she wakes up from her dream for her to say like, oh, I just, instead of trying to figure out who I am and how that fits here, I just need to, like, be who I am and own Mm -hmm. that. And that is what's going to get me through this because I can't try to conform to their rules and their systems and think that that's going to work because their systems and their rules don't make any goddamn sense. But when she finally stands up and says, you're a bunch of goddamn playing cards and you're fucking trying to kill bitches... (laughs) without even a verdict and none of this shit makes sense and I'm over it and that's when she gets to wake up and be free from it and it's like that's the real lesson is like what we really need to do is be like right and wrong and who we are and figure that out and once we've got that the rest will fall into place okay wait like call shit what it is I I would argue that the ending I would argue that Alice actually figures out the adult logics and that's when she wakes up, when she spends that entire court case in scare quotes, figuring out she's like, no, no, you can't give the sentence before the verdict. No, no, you can't give the verdict until you've done the witnesses. No, no, wait, you have to go in this order. Wait, you have to write it down. And then at the end, she's like, you, you guys do don't with- fit. You guys what don't do you fit. Do You're jury. playing cards. Just blows it all up and wakes up. And that's when she wakes up. Is that she's I mean, figured out but the isn't adults. That, but isn't that fucking but isn't that fucking growing up, right? Like you, yes. you're, you're, you try so hard to figure out the adult logic and then you realize that the world doesn't fit the adult logic and you're like, well, well the, fuck all the, of this. Y'all don't even follow your own fucking rules, so why logic. do I got to follow them? That's what the real okay. rule is. No, no. I get, it's the made-up world that it. doesn't fit the adult logic. The real world doesn't. You're saying, this, and I don't, this is like word for word. Yeah. Like word for word the real world it's just exaggerated okay. the real world okay i get what you're saying i get what you're saying brin but i 100% agree that it's like the adult world doesn't fit the adult world's yes, logic exactly they don't even follow like, their own rules like what what world are you living in and can i come join you there 
where the the lessons about how the world should work are actually being enacted in your actual experience because that is so very incredibly far from what's happening to me right now. I was about to say a lot of them applied until <laughs> March of 2020, and um, now they don't apply quite as much. Okay, I guess I'm saying that a lot of rules from from childhood do end up that we're taught do end up mattering when you get to adulthood. And for Alice, who is in a similar position as me, a privileged white childhood of a middle to upper class, a lot of those rules still apply when she gets to adulthood, when she wakes up and she's discovered the flaws in some of the logic, but she applies her, what she thinks the adult logic might be, right? She wakes up and then she, her sister says, don't worry about it, it's all fine, go get some tea. And her life continues on. That's actually really insightful. To that's really a good point that you've made there. That for for people like Alice, even if those rules are arbitrary and nonsense, they still very much but govern I think her in life. In that same sense, we have to go back to her sister because at the same time as Alice is sort of in this like, I guess, dream but almost nightmare, right? Because she is scared mm-hmm. for for at many points she's scared. She's scared that she can't be the right size. She's scared that she can't fit into certain situations. She's scared that things are happening that she doesn't think are right. She doesn't know how to fix it. And so a lot of that dream for her was being scared. And her sister then dreams about the same things. But it's a very nostalgic way of like, look how great the world was. And like these fanciful characters and like I wish I could stay asleep like this but she can't and then she wakes up and she's like oh I wonder how great Alice is going to be as an adult like you have to think about the fact that like as she gets older like yes in a lot of ways her sister has the same privileges that she has but she also longs for this world where you can just say like things aren't right and wake up yeah fuck that's that was a little too real for me because if I could just say things aren't right and I could wake up right now or just you know into like general life I would but I can't like you can't once you're an adult you can't just say like everything's fucked up let me just wake up from this bad dream and everything bad that happens to her sister is sort of like meaningless and also I can come out of this and so it's like it feels safer and then you get to to real reality as someone who's her sister's verging on adulthood. She's not an adult yet, but she's verging on adulthood. And she's realizing, like, like shit's a lot more real than we thought. And, like, I wish I could go back to the days where it could just be a bad dream. Okay. I, I realize we're only, like, 80% agreeing here and, then like, 20% differing. But I will say that in this, like, I understand my place of privilege in being able to say this. But in this privileged, white, upper middle class, like, mindset, the scary part is waking up and knowing it's not any different right? You you wake up from the wonderland and those rules that you were trying really hard to figure out, those are still the rules that apply. Well, I, I think actually we're agreeing on more than, 20, <laughs> than 80% because I think what, what, what I'm hearing from Bryn is that the scary part is like these rules don't apply and these rules are made up and they're nonsense. There's even though they don't apply and they're, they're still going to, you're still going to get punished. If you do, don't, you're going to get punished whether you follow them or not. The rule, I think the rules do unless apply. Whether they're nonsense or not, they do apply. Yes. Unless you're the queen of hearts. And I have a whole thread that I'm going to be following throughout this podcast. <laughs> okay. 
unless you're the person making the rules, you're going to get punished. And the rules are bullshit, but they still apply. And it doesn't matter whether you follow them or not, you're going to get punished unless you're the one making the rules. And that's the really fucking scary thing. And I 100% agree with Brit. So I think we all agree on this in different, like sort of our coming to it was differently. And like where we're coming from to approach that point is different. But like we all sort of agree. And my next theme was justice. And I think we covered that in that theme, which is why I said mm-hmm. show notes, which our readers can't see. Basically, it said the nonsense of growing up, which could include several sub themes. And then second thing was justice and also was included in the nonsense of growing up. Because guess what? Um, the blindfolds are off and everything sucks. So I feel like it's um. There is what no is justice. that? Whose line is it anyway? The rules are made up and the points don't matter. Yeah, Drew Carey. Okay, actually, I have a I have a theory about the peanut part. Character Let's do analysis, it. but make it hashtag fashion. The two characters I want to talk about are Alice and the Queen of Hearts. So first, I think we should talk about Alice, and I know that Chris is like raring to go on Queen of Hearts, but <laughs> I want to save the best for last, bitch. Okay, I think yes. like we have to talk about Alice because yep. obviously like yes. she's the main character. Um, so a lot of it we've already said is like sort of the struggle of growing up and sort of trying to figure out your place and where you fit. And a lot of it, like I've seen a lot of um debates with scholars who are saying like it's basically figuring out how to transition from sort of childhood to adulthood. And I I definitely see that. But I also want to argue it is it is trying to figure out your place as a woman in society and in the Victorian era, Mm -hmm. especially when it was written, but also I think we can apply that to today. You're constantly trying to learn other people's rules to figure out how to fit in every situation. And then you're also responsible for caring for their feelings and their reactions and making sure they follow certain rules and like their behavior fits, which is basically what the wife was responsible for um in victorian time periods was like we have to make sure we create the perfect Mm -hmm. space and we make sure everyone behaves a certain way and like we control all of this because that's our job and we're like the angel in the house that has to make sure everyone else is behaving according to like our doctrine of what's right and alice just can't ever fucking figure out how to fit right and it's like does any woman ever figure out how to fit right because i'm married and almost middle-aged and I can't figure it the fuck out I'm just saying uh so yeah so I just want to talk about like Alice trying to figure out her place in the world and like the added struggle of age and gender obviously we can talk about class because she ultimately figures out a way to sort of make it work for her because she escapes she wakes up all right well I'm gonna just like intersectional the shit out of this right now and say that even though Alice is a child and uh, maybe not entirely responsible for herself, um, she is a little piece oh. of shit. <laughs> okay. I didn't know we were going there with it, but all right then. Let's yeah. Talk about it, girl. Uh, Alice is actually, Alice, I like, I fucking hate Alice. No, and I've read this book again multiple times and I enjoyed it multiple times and I still enjoyed it this time. But oh my God. God, what a spoiled little brat. Okay, specifically the scene that I am referring to where she's talking to the mock turtle and the griffin. Mm -hmm. And the mock turtle is going to tell her her, his story about his sadness. And the griffin and the mock turtle at the very beginning of the scene are like, okay, well, 
Like, I'm going to tell you my story. Please don't interrupt me until the very end. And he gets, like, three words in for this little bitch starts interrupting him with questions. I'm not going to. Okay, wait. How many kindergartners this- have we met, though? Oh. Okay. To be fair, we do have to remember give she's you- like six at this point. If that. Okay. But she's actually, I just, it's so rude. It's so rude. Yeah, all fucking day. You should meet a kindergartner and then get to know <laughs> them ready, and spend the day about, with them. You're both about to have that all day. I don't remember day. being this bad. We were all that I'm annoying. Like, it's okay. I'm still that annoying. I'm a spoiled <laughs> bitch. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> be nice everybody i'm flipping everyone off through zoom i don't know i just i feel like she has no empathy or like like no i I do think she has empathy she has no patience and now that you pointed out yes she is the age of a kindergartner and no kindergartner i have known ever in my entire life has any patience they and can't sit really through the movie frozen here, okay how are they going to sit through the mock turtle story but i'm really what i'm trying to say here is that all kindergartners are assholes agree <laughs> okay agree. glad glad i got that off my chest <laughs> there are a lot of important things in that chapter though i mean we don't have to break it down like 60 percent of them are puns so, no, like, but if y'all there's want to talk a lot on morals. There's a lot on morals. Like, Lewis Carroll All seems puns. to want to say a lot about morals and how, like, there's a moral in everything if only you can find it. And, like, um, how the Duchess is, like, super fond of morals. Like, there's a lot with that. And, like, and this story has no real clear moral. And so, I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of. There are no morals. It's a weird thing for a fucking pedophile to say. I think there are morals. Well, it's a very convenient thing for me to say. <laughs> I said what I said. <laughs> like, if you don't leave this um, podcast thinking that Lewis Carroll is a pedophile, pedophile, pedophile. No, she said it. She said I'm pedophile. Leaving I'm leaving it in. I have the power. Um, okay. If you don't leave this thinking so that, Alice is you're wrong. Alice is a typical kindergartner, and that is fine. And we're okay with that. If she is also a doctor. We'll allow it. So we'll allow her. We will allow her to be. <laughs> Can we please talk about the Queen of Hearts now, please? Queen of Hearts. Queen of Hearts. Oh, Do it. Yes. yes. On to the Queen of Hearts. And uh, I'm turning it over to Chris. I don't even got to say shit because I, I feel like Chris has enough to say for all of us. So, Chris, dear Chris, please tell us your theories. Okay. I'm excited because I know what they are. <laughs> my theory is my theory is that the Queen of Hearts is Donald Trump and the Donald Trump is the Queen of Hearts. Obviously, Carol could not have written it to be that, but we ended up there. So maybe he's a Nostradamus. Maybe he's a Nostradamus. All I'm saying, more I'm saying that Donald Trump inhabits all of the personality traits of the Queen of Hearts. Okay, but do you know how mad it would make him to be identified as a queen? Oh, God. That makes me feel better. That makes me feel better. It makes me feel better. Thank you. Not even as a woman, as a fucking playing card. Um, (laughs) And, which is so appropriate. She said what she Uh, said. (laughs) So she said. At me, bitch. (laughs) Um, At PH Drunk Podcast on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, all publicity is good publicity. We don't even care at this point. (laughs) 
Donald Trump is <laughs> self-obsessed. Yes. yes. Check. Check. See the part. See the part where Alice is shit talking the Queen of Hearts and then she realizes that she's coming up behind her and she's like, Oh, the Queen of Hearts is so good at croquet. And she's definitely gonna win this game. And then the Queen of Hearts just is like, Yes, I totally am. <laughs> That's a That's genius move Trump. of following adult conversation dynamics, though, by like a kindergartner. That's yes. Genius. Very good, Alice. You're still a little asshole. So and then the Queen of Hearts gives zero fucks for the rule of law not a bit for example when she wants to give the she wants to give the sentence before the verdict in the trial guess who else doesn't give zero fucks about the rule of law donald trump who did i win (laughs) you did win uh with complete disregard again for rule of law Queen of Hearts slash Donald Trump, which, you know, what's really fun is imagining Donald Trump in a full Queen of Hearts Okay, outfit. so after I heard... It's really fun but for Melania would okay, be so the heard best King of Hearts. Right? Absolutely. Right? Melania would be so like, good at it. Y'all, I heard Chris's thing. theory. I heard Chris's theory before reading, like, the last 20 pages of the book. And so then I just imagined... Have y'all seen the Tennille illustrations? You should look... At one of the Tennille yes. illustrations with the gigantic yeah, head in proportion to the small book. body. Yes. And then then superimpose the face of the political leader mm-hmm. you think most fits that description. And it will be Donald I think Trump. We should it, do it, it is highly Who comical. Knows? Hey, hey, Bryn, you're the one with the artsy, fartsy background. Why don't you sure, fartsy yeah, it that's up me. and make... Sure, I'm going to fart it up. Fart it up, girl. Can you please, <laughs> please put, a put a Donald, Donald Trump's, Trump's face on the Queen of Hearts? Queen of Hearts. That is it. That's all. That is your civic fucking duty. I was saying that the the Queen of Hearts slash Donald Trump is like again in complete disregard for the rule of law yep. or just like how things work in uh, the real world or whatever. Like reality just general, runs around, says, yeah, just completely runs around and and is like off with his head, <laughs> off with their head all of the fucking mm. time, which is what he wants to do to his like critics oh, all and his own time. people he's on people and fire 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 every time they say anything bad about him on top of that one could say that the king of hearts it is like all of the people in his cabinet and in his administration who are just running around putting out the fires because the king of hearts is like pardoning everybody that um donald trump is wants to execute slash the queen of hearts wants to execute and then it's just like it's it's just it's like literally American politics. So I just right want to now. say for the record, we either lost all of our listeners or gained all of our listeners with this one episode. And the thing <laughs> is, if we lost you, bye boy, I ain't sorry about you. Can I can I put a plug in for a YA book? Yes. yes. Okay. There's a there's an author called Marissa Meyer who tells um, fractured fairy tales in YA novels, and she does one about the Queen of Hearts backstory, and it's really good. Thing to me, Chris, it happened, and now I am there, and I can't unsee what I have seen. Students, <laughs> students from all across the world, in all age groups, in all course levels, that is how you t- use textual evidence. To support I your can't arguments. Un- I can't see what I've minds. seen. That textual evidence was spot the fuck on. Okay. So, should we move on to final grades? Yes. Oh, final grades. Final grades. Let's end this. Final grades. 
Ended all. And just, we're talking. Ended about, all. We're, are we still talking about the podcast, or are we talking about? <laughs> so should we do? Final we should grades? do final grades. So here's the deal. Originally, I gave this a C plus because it's like basically a bunch of fucking nonsense, and there was like a couple nuggets of like good stuff. I want to give it a little bit higher because I do think the nuggets of good stuff are legit. But then I remember pedophile wrote it, so it still stays a C plus. So that's what I give it a C fucking plus. Fair. Good. Fair. That's very fair. And I also think, wait, 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 for the record, before anyone else goes, I would like to say for the record, I don't think you should not teach this book. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying if you teach this book in your courses, or if you study this as a student in your courses, you absolutely have a duty to bring up that this man was a motherfucking pedophile, because that is your job as a citizen of the goddamn world. Yeah, yes, he was a pedophile. Myself. Yes, pedophile. Mm-hmm. I uh, 100% agree. Brynn's going to be dead yeah. in her bed he was tomorrow. Both a, <laughs> he was both a peed and a No, pedophile. a pedophile all the way. What My grade, I am Chris, my grade for this is a B-. minus. I was going to give it a C plus just like Alice did for all of the exact same reasons. But I will say that our discussion has actually made me appreciate what I get out of this book more like fuck Lewis Carroll but I read the shit out of this so like B minus to my close reading of it and Lewis Carroll can go sit on this but I got a lot out of reading Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and therefore I give the book a B minus I give Lewis Carroll an F F for go fuck yourself for go fuck Fuck yourself but minus Alice not nope. Alice. The other one. Who are Brand. you? Brand. Other Brand. ginger. Other ginger. Yes. Um, I'm Bryn, and um, I actually landed in the same place. I'd give it a B minus as a book. I really think it has a more complex structure than a lot of people give it a credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, as does a lot of Lewis Carroll. See, yeah, she's throwing she's throwing shade at us. Work in the end of this um, podcast. I'm not throwing shade, shade at you. I'm thinking we discussed the it all. Right. Shade of it all. We discussed, <laughs> we discussed a lot of it. Um, however, uh, Lewis Carroll himself um, does not deserve a grade and deserves yes. an F minus where the minus is lots of tax that he should yeah. sit on. I think I think that's I think honestly, mm-hmm. I think we've done a thing where we this is like maybe the first time for our readers that we've said you have to grapple with the text versus the author. Mm-hmm. And. I think it's interesting that we we kind of all fell in like sort of the same place, and I'm interested to see what readers think going into it. But that's like, a and you real can read question. this in an afternoon. Like, no, if you're so thinking fast. about rereading this, you can read this in a couple of hours. Not a problem. The, um, the Dover the Dover edition is 56 pages. It's very short. With it, that's yeah, that's it's very short. The original. Um, illustration so it's very short but i will say i think can i I think it's can i add an addendum can i add an addendum my addendum is it's not that you need to grapple with the author and the text separately but that you need to grapple with the shit ass person that the author was and yes what you can get out of the text good or bad at the yes. same time. Like, it, we shouldn't put the author aside That's it. That's what I, while we discuss yes. the text. Yeah. We should be able to say, 
I got something good out of this book written by an incredibly shitty person. And you don't have to pick and choose. And the feeling that you need to pick and choose is actually what makes a lot of people decide, well, I like the text so much that I'm going to have to defend the author. And that is some fucking motherfucking bullshit. I I completely agree with that. I still gave it a C plus because I felt like if I didn't know you, this book would have ranked higher because we can talk about so even though it's nonsense, we can talk about so many like important things with it. But I can't separate that from who wrote it, and and I struggle with it. And I think I think the most important thing going forward, I think we all agree on that, is that um, anytime you teach a problematic text, you you have a duty to your students to address what is problematic about the author and not sweep it under the rug and say, let's just look at the text and not think about that part. Or like, let's ignore this part of who he was because he did these other good things. Like duty is to say, we have to look at the whole picture and not just this is the text or this is the author, but like, here's all of the problematic shit and what we get good out of it. Absolutely. I agree with you Agreed. 100%. I'm in. Okay, that's it. That's all I got. So there's that. Uh, many thanks to all of you for listening and drinking with us today. Wait, we didn't talk about our drinks. What are we drinking today? Um, our special totally made up cocktail for today is gin, vodka, and Midori uh, with a mm-hmm. bit of pineapple juice and tonic water. You can so decide what, wait, your ratio. What color does it end up being? Oh, it has to be fucking green, and it's definitely called a Mad Hatter. And you can decide your ratios because we're fucking drunk when we did it. So I don't know. Sure. Pick yeah. it out as long as uh, it's we're green, always it drunk. works. Sure, sounds good. Okay, so after you make if that it's cocktail, green, you it should... drinks. <laughs> <laughs> you should post a picture of it of your totally made up cocktail while you listen to our episode. Um, and to post it, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PH Drunk Podcast. You can also go over to our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash phdrunkpodcast and buy us a drink. We will cheers you in an episode. Um, buying us a drink will help us keep drowning our hashtag existential despair. Thanks, as always, to Anchor for helping us make this podcast a thing, even though we're technologically challenged, as evidenced by our four attempts to get this even started. Join us next week to check. To check. <laughs> Join us next week. <laughs> <laughs> Join us. <laughs> Excuse me. We're all gonna in. giggle. Leave yeah. leave just leave it in. in. It's fine. It's fine. Join us. We have less than a minute. Next, to go. join us next week to chat about the gothic classic Horace Walpole's *The Castle of Otranto*. So that's it for us, gentles. Are you ready? Books, Books down. down. Books down. Bottoms up. Bottoms up.